Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Podcast Network Asia. Just a quick programming note before we start here. We talked to Paul London and Carlo Cannon thinking we would have them on for like 45 minutes, maybe an hour, pagdapasarap yung kwentuhan. But we were so lucky, so fortunate that we got to have them for just a few seconds shy of two hours, literally. And we even chit-chatted for a few minutes pa after the call. So what we're going to do is we're going to split this interview up into two parts. The first part is about Paul London's uh, thoughts on professional wrestling in 2023 and how his own philosophy towards the business has changed over the years. And then the second part, which drops maybe tomorrow, maybe in a few days after you're listening to this, or uh, maybe it's already up on your feed if you're listening to this like next week or whatever. Uh, that one will cover questions like, what was he thinking when he chose to smile in that infamous pre-taped segment on Monday Night Raw from 16 years ago, right before Mr. McMahon's limo exploded? We also talked to him about how he was quite literally scarred by a trip to Manila. So all of that is going to be part of part two, all right? So without further ado, let's play that OBB, shall we? What's going on? This is Xavier Woods, a.k.a. Austin Creed. Welcome to the big time! Hello, WWE Universe in the Philippines. This is Charlotte. You know your damn role and shut Hey everyone, this is Jeff Cobb. I have to finish the story. We are pretty deadly. Yes, boy. Yes, boy. Hello, my name is Ila Dragunov, the star. Bang, the sniper is shooting you down. This is TMDK's Robbie Eagles, and you are listening to the Wrestling Wrestling Podcast. To the longest running weekly episodic Filipino wrestling podcast. This is the Wrestling Wrestling Podcast. It's a very full house on this special audio only episode of the pod, video only for our patrons because they're the lucky ones who help keep us afloat over on patreon.com/slash wrestling wrestling podcast. Stancy at your service, Romoran, Emil ASH, Rowan ASH, they're here. We've also got a couple of uh, very special guests calling in on an Independence Day recording session. First off, someone you just heard last week on a special episode, uh, one of the kuyas of the pod, Carlo Cannon, joining us. What's up, Carlo? Hey, how you doing? How you doing? Kuyas. Great to have you. Oh, that, means, that means older brother. That, that's... <laughs> oh, cool. oh, yeah. I was confused. Oh, yeah, my bad. My bad. Uh, we, 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 of course, have to introduce the best for last, right? So uh, let, let's bring in our other guest. He is a former WWE Tag Team Champion, a former Cruiserweight Champion as well. Someone who has performed in Manila 
back in the year 2006. We're going to ask you about that. Please welcome the great Paul London. Hi, what a Paul. house. Oh, hey. <laughs> Hello, sir, Thanks, Paul. guys. This is super cool. This is super cool. Happy, uh, happy Independence Day. Yeah. Um, no, thank you. It's I, super cool having you here with us. Yeah. Yeah, no, this is great. This is great. Uh, <laughs> my, thank you to my, my, my best mate there, Carlo, uh, for setting this up. That's where we want to start off. Like, how did uh, this, this friendship between Paul London and Carlo Cannon happen? Because when uh, we had Carlo on last week, he spoke so much about you. And I'm like, wait, uh, how did you guys link up? How did this friendship begin? Well, Paul uh, says he's my best mate, but I bet he doesn't remember. He says oh, that get we're out best of here. Mates, he doesn't remember. We are, oh, get out of here. We have shared ice cream sundaes together <laughs> in bed. So, uh, you know, if that doesn't make you a best mate, Quia, I don't know what does. So can someone explain to me what that means, by the way, before I make too much of a fool out of myself? No, he's uh, right. It, it does really mean older brother. <laughs> in, oh, in, great. In oh, well, <laughs> I'm much older, actually. So I guess I would be the Quia. Uh, yeah, <laughs> sounds about right. Yeah, but um, yeah, I don't know when would when would that association have started? Like two thousand? Hey, I told you, yeah, I I remember, I remember. Yeah, I think we had a we had a show in Melbourne, and Paul was down, and uh, he, he was feuding with my tag partner at the time, Slex. And uh, yes. I remember we would, there was a promo segment where. Um, Paul and Slex, they were turning, they were turning Slex into a babyface and keeping me as a heel. And Paul was trying to convince him to leave me and stay away from me, um, even to the point where he brought a taser to the ring, and that what? was not planned. You don't remember? Uh, I remember this very clearly. We was this at the restaurant? Was, no, no, no. That's how we became friends. But the show that you were on, uh, you did a run in, and it, there was a stunt guy in the back that had a taser. And you ran to the ring and brought a taser out, and we weren't sure if you were going to taser us or not. I remember that was my first encounter with you in ring, and then oh, we went awesome. to yeah, we went and got food after, and by luck we sat next to each other. And one of the conversations we spoke about was about you remember th- about th- how far you could throw a little person is <laughs> yes, is- maybe I do remember. This is starting oh, to come that's back why. to me now. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. We we figured how far we could throw one, <laughs> and wow. from yeah. there the, the friendship blossomed. We knew that we had the same sense of humor, <laughs> and <laughs> and it, it all came from there. Then uh, I went. I think yeah, you come you come back a few times to Melbourne. We'd hang out when you were allowed to. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you were- <laughs> That's right. I was a, I was a prisoner of Hungry Jacks. Which is I was uh, in hungry. I was in hungry. King. Yeah, I was in hung. I was in hungry Jack jail. So uh, yeah, I'm I'm addicted to CTE. So um, I try to collect as much uh, brain damage as I can whenever I wrestle. So his memory is much better than mine. Um, but that all that's all it's all starting to come back to me. Quite a bit, and to clarify, we we were talking about how far we could throw villainous bad uh, people of smaller stature, <laughs> you know. So not not just like, hey, there's somebody who's like four feet tall. Let's throw them, because um, that would be bullying. And we yeah, don't, that's not yeah, that's such not, a, we, we don't, don't like condone, Yeah, we don't condone <laughs> that. So. Uh, it's not very yeah. queer behavior. Yeah, yeah. Not very <laughs> <behavior>. No, no. <laughs> no. Are y'all familiar with Wang Wang? Yes. 
uh, if I you love talk about the that... fireworks and the, and the drinks, then yes. Oh no, I'm talking about the actor. Oh no, uh, no, Wang Wang. Um, but well, that's that's it's a, it's a very heroic little person. Ah, um, he's a but, yeah, standing three feet. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, guy. he's great. He's great. Some of my favorite. That's, I learned a lot of my action actually from him. Um, well, and I lo- and the love maker. You had me at the taser. Yeah, the taser, yeah, the taser thing. I I, I really don't even, remember how that. Cleared out of show. Okay, so do you, yeah. you, do you do you not remember that? Do you remember that guy? So there was a we had like an Australian version of like Jackass there, and they were running around the back doing some yes. stuff. Okay, keep yeah. going. Yeah, and then suddenly for some reason I had a promo segment in ring with Slex, <laughs> and Paul was meant to come out and interrupt it and just you know convince Slex to leave or whatever, and Paul came out with a taser and started chasing me with a taser, and I wasn't <laughs> sure. I didn't know Paul very well then, so I wasn't sure if he was going to tase me or not. That's that's how that was our first interaction in ring. I mean, and uh, honestly, that's that's to me the essence of what genuine professional wrestling should be about is um, an air of danger, you know, like a, a real a real bit of just yeah, an, an atmosphere of danger. I think that's you know, I I. I maybe maybe not maybe known maybe not so known i have you know i have quite a few issues with modern day professional wrestling and uh maybe i'm just an old curmudgeon but to me having been fortunate enough to be brought in by true legends um who you know really made their name on the on the historic territory days of professional wrestling. I was very fortunate to learn from, from these legends. And uh, so for me, I was brought in in a very kind of old school way. And I, I take a lot of pride in kind of being one of the uh, few people who is kind of a transitionary wrestler from the territory learning um, kind of methodology to kind of the modern style of things now, um, especially because at my size, um, it was very rare for me to get training at all. Um, most guys kind of our size, you know, we wouldn't, the only way we'd be allowed uh, at a wrestling show is if we bought a ticket, you know? So um, I, I do have a very kind of old school mentality and an appreciation for the business and and with that is just a love and an appreciation for for the old territory days and and professional wrestling how it used to be and and with that there was always kind of a real sense of danger um today i think professional wrestling is is so overproduced and it's it's so um there's so much of a a concern and a thought for making it like a safe place. And I don't, I'm not saying this in a way of like, um, you know, it should be nasty and hateful or anything like that, but I'm just saying um, there should be a thrill of danger uh, that, that anything could happen and chaos could, could erupt at any moment, especially if you're a fan. Um, But even in, in the sake of, 
of the wrestlers, you know, I mean, we're talking about days when the heels and faces changed in opposite sides of the building. And so, uh, I, I feel that modern day wrestling is, is overproduced. It's, it's, it's overplanned. It's, or it's, it's over choreographed. It, it, to me, it's too video gamey and I, I'm not into it. Um, and so I think Carlo's reaction to me standing there with the taser was probably pretty real because he didn't know if I was going to tase him or not. <laughs> right. And so, but, it, but if, if we had talked about it in the, in the back and, and I had planned it and been like, I'm going to bring out this taser and like, you act like, like you don't know if I'm going to tase you or not. And, and, you know, and it just, it, it, it would have looked stupid. I think it would have looked phony because it would have been phony. Right. So, that not knowing, I think that adds a lot to the mystique and the magic that pro wrestling is and should be, if that makes any sense. Um, and so um, I'm glad I did that. I wish I would actually tried to tase you <laughs> oh, no, you were, I know, not with it and you were you were pressing it like i could hear that i was like oh it's on like it wasn't yeah. like you just had it you were pressing it and <laughs> i could see the spark oh yeah you I said the to, jackass guys i remembered it more so because they were like yeah this will be great man. Like they, yeah. you know. <laughs> i remember telling slex i told slex that i looked at him and go if he starts tasing bro i'm running i'm leaving you just know that <laughs> So he goes, no, no, I'm coming with you. I'm coming with you. And I'm like, if you, I'm, I'll see if I can get the footage, but I'm pretty sure you just see it. So I'm like, I'm Please give me the footage. I would like that footage. I would use it on our TikTok. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love it. But I have a question though, um, for Paul, um, you brought up the philosophy of, of these things and it got me thinking already. Um, you said that you don't agree with how wrestling nowadays is overproduced and overplanned. But um, yes. when I was watching you in the 2000s, your cruiserweight, style was not like how the bigger guys would wrestle so how is that different right. from uh what you don't agree with happening now um well no and that's a great question i was in my 20s uh probably at the time that you were referring to <laughs> and my philosophies <clears throat> matured quite a bit and it's changed quite a bit and i can say that at that time my mindset was different because I was still a little guy in the land of giants and in the land of the behemoths, right? So I was fortunate to have made it kind of through the cracks to get into the, that so-called kind of promised land of, of the behemoths. And I, I fortunately, you know, I was able to get there on dedication, hard work, and a lot of luck. But it didn't go without a ton of sacrifice, you know. And so one of my, one of my, uh, I guess, attributes, something that's always really worked well for me was my ability to make maybe lesser talents look much more credible and better than they are. Unfortunately, sometimes it's called a worker's curse uh, because you'll get put in that position more often than not when you're able to really make others look great or even better. You know, I was thrown so many projects when I was working with WWE. I mean, every new signing 
every new character gimmick whatever you know they i would always have to go through these people um because they knew that they that i would at least make them look as how they hoped that they would consistently look um but for working with other cruiserweights you know it's kind of like well i'm not i'm not being given like i'm not being like put with a character so to say and any character ideas or any creative ideas that I present, um, they don't care about it. Like they don't like I'm 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 kind of an afterthought in in terms of being made into like a, a money making character or like somebody that they want to really put in their storylines. Um, that just wasn't really in the cards for me at the time. And so my theory was always like, well. I'm going to impress them with my physical abilities. And, and again, at that time, cruiserweight wrestling was kind of frowned upon. Um, the company was never high on it. And, you know, that was unfortunate because we had great talents working in the cruiserweight division at the time, but that was also a bit of a holdover from kind of my, I would say like my ring of honor, uh, time, and the little bit of time I spent at TNA um, was just having worked with uh, other cruiserweights that I admired and had looked up to, you know, growing up, uh, or at least, you know, as a, as a teenager and, and admiring these guys who I was thinking like, man, they're like the same size I am. Like, I do have a chance to, to, to make it in pro wrestling because, because they're able to do that. And, um, and you kind of just, you get into this workflow where and mind you also on television you unfortunately you do have to structure more for the sake of timing so it's you know you can't you can't be told okay you have eight minutes with entrances um here's your finish uh we'll just figure it out out there uh, you know like unfortunately you don't have that luxury um, because they want to know, you know, hey, if there's like a commercial break, like what are you going to what exactly are you going to do before we cut to a commercial? Like what exactly are you going to do when we come out of the commercial? Like what exactly are you going to do? And so you're working with these producers uh, who are generally um, stars of yesteryear, or, you know, former, you know, retired uh, pros and and whatnot and and they're literally kind of jotting down everything that they want you to do and so in that regard creatively it's it's a bit stifling because you, you have to come up with everything you're doing and you're sitting here thinking like well i don't you know who's to say if the crowd's even going to buy this you know so to me it comes off as kind of stale when you're in that workflow, you don't think about it that w that way so much because you're you know working four or five times a week uh, over 300 days a year, and and you you're just you start finding just things that work and things that don't work. You're using a lot of this. You're you're getting rid of that. Um, and plus, other guys, you know, depending on who you're working with, maybe they want to like phone it in and and have an easy night um or whatever uh but but that ability to call things on the fly and create your match with re you know with good psychology as it goes depending on what the crowd is giving you or not giving you um to me that's a lost art 
and I'm fortunate that I was taught that by by lots of greats. Um, I'm very fortunate for the the wrestlers who trained me. Uh, but it you know it wasn't anything that fell into my lap. I went after it and I went and got it and I slept in my car and I you know and I starved myself and I did whatever I could to get training from the very best. And so I was very fortunate to learn that. But again, not very many people are taught that and, and even less are comfortable trying that. Um, but, you know, to go back to your question, yeah, when you're on television, unfortunately, it's it, it, it more so now than even when I was there, it, it has to have some real structure to it where it tends to just be overproduced um because you know uh tv matches now are are much more accelerated and i think make less sense than they did when i was there and the matches when i was there meaning on tv uh for like wwe those matches made as much sense as we could make out of them, but they were still, I would say, overproduced compared to, say, TV matches of the early 90s and the 80s, which I thought still made a lot of sense because they were coming up as they as they went. Um, and, and maybe they weren't the most athletically amazing matches in the 80s or 90s, but, but boy, did they know how to tell stories. And, and that that's really what does it for me now more so where you know and especially having trained in martial arts i don't like watching professional wrestling when it when it makes me feel like an idiot watching it when it makes me feel it makes me you know when it makes me feel like dumber than i already do uh i don't i don't i can watch somebody take a kick right to the face and pop right up or they'll reverse something and then they're coming out and like, and, and it just, that tells me this person has never been kicked in the face before <laughs> ever because that is complete bullshit, complete bullshit. Sorry. There I'm cussing. Yeah, um, so to me, it's just ridiculous. You know, like you're going to tell me that the kid that just served me ice cream over the weekend at the mall is now this like mega soldier warrior you know, badass that can get his arms cut off and, and take a gunshot to the face. And now he's nipping up and, and hulking up and like, uh, this is, I'm done. Like, no, I'm good. This is stupid. This is stupid. You know, if I want to play video games, I'll play video games. Like I don't want to watch a video game that I have no control over. Like to me, that's just, it's, it's stupid. I, we're all marks in one degree or another, right? Or we wouldn't even be on this podcast right now. So, um, that, you know, a, a mark kind of, it has kind of a negative, uh, connotation to it. Um, but it's really just kind of dependent on how you use it. But <laughs> I think if you're in the wrestling business, then there's some form of a mark in you, some degree of a mark in you. And to me, that's, there's still some hope that you're hoping to lose yourself in what you're watching. You're, you're hoping for some form of magic to, to, you know, it's the same reason we're all still going to see movies and going to the cinema. Um, <clears throat> we know it's, we know what it is. We know how it's done. So to speak, we know the, 
the inner workings of it, so to speak. We know it's not a, a thousand percent legit, but if there are moments where we actually think like, well, that, I don't know, that was pretty real. Like, or, I think that hurt. Like that, that had to have hurt. Like even just those little slivers of belief, um, that that's ultimately what I'm always hoping for. That's why I'm still involved because I want that. I crave that. And when I see somebody getting kicked in the face repeatedly, or they're starting their match off with destroyers and both nipping up, I'm like, this is, this is stupid. I'm done. I'm done. You lost me. You lost me immediately. But if this match, you know, might look like a legitimate wrestling struggle and there's a decent kind of, uh, thorough line going here and there's there, you know he he just keeps grabbing the headlock keeps grabbing the, he can't get out of it he keeps oh he keeps grabbing the headlock even though it's like a headlock i would much rather see a match that's kick punch body slam headlocks that makes sense than some ridiculous fireworks show between uh two skinny people that you know probably can barely do 10 push-ups uh, and you know, but they're hulking up, they're, they're taking, uh, kicks to the face. They're getting punched 10 times backed up to the ropes just to reverse it. And it's like, show me somebody who's never been in a bar fight or who's never been in a fight period. And I'll show you, you know, Wednesday night wrestling or AEW wrestling or any of this kind of nonsense that just is to me, to me personally, is just insulting. Because it's just stupid. Like it's, uh, you can't convince me that what I'm seeing is is believable. Because it's not. It's to me, it's that's insulting. I would much rather see something a bit slower <clears throat> and with selling. Oh my God, there's a notion. Heaven forbid you actually are affected by what was done to you. You know. But no, everybody's a superhero now. Everybody's part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and everybody dresses like a superhero. And it's just, um, it, it, yeah, it, it's just, a lot of that doesn't do it for me. You know, I, it just doesn't. Um, I, I want to be fooled into thinking that what I'm seeing is by chance real. I know it sounds silly, but it, it can be done. And it is doable, but it takes a commitment, you know? And so when you get a lot of these idiots who are like, oh, kayfabe is dead, man. That's an old school way of thinking. Like, you old heads, like, oh, kayfabe. It's like, no, you're just, you, you lack commitment. You lack commitment and you lack dedication. And you care more about being liked on social media by a bunch of people you'll never meet in real life being liked and popular on social media is now uh, that's the currency in professional wrestling. That's what people value more than anything. Unfortunately, like uh, uh, upping your only fans account uh, subscriptions and upping your, your numbers and your likes and like, like uh, to me, that's not, that's stupid. It's nonsense. You know, like have, have more pride in your craft, have more pride in your work especially because you're putting your body on the line doing this stuff. So take pride in being an illusionist. Take pride in being a wrestler. Take pride in being believable. Take pride in making the people think that what you're doing is legit. 
don't just give this crap away because you're lazy and you're like, eh, everybody already knows it's fake. So like, what's the big deal? Like, you know, it's just, no, you're, you're an idiot. Like to me, that's disrespectful. And I think that's weak. And, uh, and I have no interest in that style of, uh, mentality in, in wrestling because, um, that's not the way I was brought up and that's, that doesn't do it for me. And I'm, I'm a bigger fan of full on commitment and dedication to maintaining those secrets, maintaining that illusion. Um, you know, so. <laughs> oh, I am very guilty of all of that that you mentioned. We but- all are. We all are. We all are. I'm not kidding. We all are. Right. Like I survived getting jumped, dumped on my head where I broke my neck almost and looked like I shouldn't have gotten up. And then like, you know, we all are, um, whatever reason it is, it happens. But if we're aware of it, hopefully that will allow us to at least be aware of it, you know, to avoid, you know, like we're in this blood feud and like, I hate your guts and I'm going to kill you this weekend. And then like, we have this match and then it's like, Thanks for taking care of me. I love you. <laughs> like, let, can't wait. Let's go shopping and like taking selfies together, like at dinner. Yeah, like, I, I have a I have a two parter question here. Um, both of you can answer, uh, Carla and Paul. Uh, when did it? How long did it take you guys to know and understand the workflow that uh, Paul mentioned? That um, you don't do, you don't over plan things anymore, and you know you you do what feels right in the moment. Go ahead, Mister Muscles. <laughs> I um, Lance is very. Like Lance is very straightforward and I, we pretty much had that from the get go. Like we would do a lot of stuff like that from the start. I know for me, I didn't understand wrestling for a long time. I didn't, I didn't understand how every match wasn't the exact same way um, and how it's, how it was completely different until um, I got out there, started wrestling more and meeting people like Paul. Uh, I picked Paul's brain all the time. And I learned so much, spending so much time with him. And I'd, I'd ask questions and I'd be like, Shut up. It's true. And I'd be like, I don't get it. What about this? What about that? We always go, as you can tell, me and Paul, we like to talk like for ages and we get very passionate about, about wrestling. I think that's why we click so well because we, we love it so much and, and we're happy to question and, and, um, like argue points that people kind of bring up if it doesn't really make sense. So for me, a long, for like a good, I reckon in my first five years, I didn't understand wrestling. I, I just knew how to do the moves. I kind of understood the, the structure, but I just didn't. I was just doing it. And um, until I understood storytelling and understanding that you can't tell stories without characters and you need to be a character and then be put, it's, it's almost like uh, you think of it like um, I always bring so my students. I, I tell them about like, you know, if you watch season one of like the walking dead, you're establishing every single character and what their role is and who they are and what they're supposed to do. And then in season two, you take those characters you understand and put them in a different environment and see what they do and how they interact with different people. And that's what our wrestling storytelling, we should be able to do in in terms of storylines, in terms of within a match. Like I have, I we don't have weekly television. We don't have, you know, we can't trust everyone to watch our social media to understand the story. So I have from my entrance alone, for you to understand and get what I am, what I'm doing and what I'm presenting for you to get feelings on whether you like or hate me. And then for my entrance alone and my, my uh, actions and mannerisms in ring. And then the first 
start of that match, I'm going to tell you a story. And by the end of it, you should be hooked and understand what I believe in and why I'm doing what I'm doing. And you have a very finite time to do that, especially in this day and age with TikTok and all that being 15 seconds and people's attention span being so short. I literally have to come out through that entrance and have you hooked from the start and keep consistently reminding you why you should be interested. So it, it is harder now. And I think that's why people don't understand that there is a slow burn and you can tell that story and you can, and and people always feel like, um, I relate it to like someone in the, if you're in a car with someone that's awkward and, and has, and doesn't know what to do, they're going to keep talking to you nonstop because they don't like the silence. Right. But the silence is where things sit and marinate and you feel it. But because they're nervous and because they don't trust themselves, they're insecure. They just keep talking, 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 talking. Is that you might not like them or you might, it might be boring. And that's what people think wrestling has to be. Spot, 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 spot. Oh shit. They're bored. Nah. Like I'm going to punch you. I'm going to look at you. I'm going to enjoy. I tell there's a better story of me punching you in the face, looking at you. And then the thought process I have in my mind of how I feel about punching you in the face. Right. So there's more mileage in what I do beforehand and after than the actual impact, because that's telling the story and giving meaning to what I'm doing. So for instance, when I wrestled JY, uh, sorry, Wonder Boy in, uh, in Malaysia, and I grabbed him and I made that remark of, if you think wrestling's fake, watch this. And I just felt like I really punched him in his, as hard as I could in the face. <laughs> the, the pullback, I looked at him and the intensity, like my videographer had it in slow-mo, Achilles was filming it and you see me spitting and angry. And I was like, well, and I pull back and I punch him and I'm looking at him. And in my head, I'm like, I, sh- I legitimately just punch this guy in the face. But my face is saying, like, eat it. This is, yes. And I'm enjoying it. And I start smiling and relishing it. And you're looking at him because, again, we can only watch one thing at a time. So if you're watching me, you're seeing me enjoy it, but I'm not really doing much. And you look at him and he's dying in pain. And I let it sit. I didn't move. I just stood there. And within three, four, five seconds, they started a holy shit chant from a punch. I don't need to kill myself. I don't need to do crazy destroyers. I don't need to. Me punching someone legitimately in the face and you're like, I think he punched him for real because I more likely punched him in the face for real. Uh, There's the magic there. And there was the lead up before and the lead. And now I don't have to do anything. Because that, that's what it is. Like the, I think it's being comfortable in the silence and if you're, you're putting that. But that took me so long to even understand that because I was so worried that if I let it sit and marinate, they're going to think I suck or I don't know what I'm doing or I look confused. But if we're in a real fight, a, a real fight, you don't know every single thing you're going to do. I'm going to sit there and reassess and think about it. The UFC guys do it all the time. You watch UFC, they're assessing what they're going to do. They're, they're, that, that's what a real fight is. And again, like Paul said, you can tell when someone's been in a real fight or not, just from how they stand, let alone because they're not people that have been taught how to stand properly. <laughs> yeah. But um, like that's that's for me, it took a good someone told me in my first five years of wrestling, they said, when you see one Carlo Cannon match, you've seen them all. And that really hit home for me because I was like, that's true. Cause I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I don't understand how it's not going to be the same until I understood my character until I understood my motives, like my, all the, all the motivations. I'm standing those about this because I taught this in my class last week um, that he joined in on. And I was just talking about how like there has to be a reason for your character, why they chose wrestling and not MMA and boxing and what their motivations are into winning the world title. Because if you're not there to win the world title, what's the point of, of being a wrestler anyway? So like when you understand these deep seated motives of who you are as a person, you can insert them into stories. So that took me at least five, Five years. 
you know. Damn, you learned faster than I did. <laughs> it, took, it took me longer. <laughs> it's just like, man, like this is all starting to feel similar. Like why? I don't know. I think a lot of it too. I mean, Carlo hit it on the head when he said there's an insecurity there. And, you know, unless you come from a combative, uh, competitive background, whether it be in amateur wrestling, martial arts, MMA, whatever it might be, uh, high intensity bowling, um, <laughs> darts. Uh, <laughs> no, but you know, yeah, yeah. Um, then, then he, you know, you're right. It, 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 there is an insecurity there. I think every every performer, uh, every professional wrestler, like early on at some point, their biggest fear is to get a boring chant. Um, and so, you know, like he said, it's like, I have to fill up all this space with, with action or they're going to be bored or somebody's going to start chanting that. And, um, I would say like, f uh, for me, having been able to see firsthand and study and also pick his brain, um, a lot of you know these legendary guys but um you know it depends it depends on your persona too like we're not all going to be the size of the undertaker we're not all going to have that that persona either but i was still able to learn a lot from watching him because there's you know and also from like from acting my training in acting i mean there's there's power in stillness. And what I mean is, you know, if you're running around trying to create action or create visual noise, I mean, that's kind of really what it is. Whereas, you know, and if it's like if you're constantly moving and doing all this kind of stuff, uh, to me, you look nervous. But as an audience member, I can look away and talk to my friend or talk to the person next to me, or I can go get a, a snack or go to the bathroom and come back. And chances are this person's still going to be moving around and blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to miss anything. But when they slow down and there's a stillness, it almost forces the audience to pay attention because now they're sitting here watching the water about to boil but they don't know when it's going to happen um so there's a power in stillness and it takes a lot of experience i think um it takes a lot of confidence um but you're really kind of owning who you are and to go on to what carlo was saying as well um here's to me something that I use when I train wrestlers, but also when I try and help teach, whether it's at seminars or in a class, it's wrestling with intent. Okay. So when I say that most matches nowadays are overproduced, they are, but they're not only overproduced, they're overproduced in a, in the wrong way. And what I mean by that is that, most wrestlers, they focus more on how, and this goes hand in hand in acting, because as an actor, 
if I'm reading a scene and I'm reading my lines and I'm sitting here thinking like, how should I play this? Like it says, you know, with anger or whatever, it says, you know, how should I, how should I do this? And you're losing sight of the real essence of it, which is why with wrestling, because it is as physical of a art as there is, there's nothing else like it. Um, obviously you learn early on more so how, how do you do this? How do you lock up? How do you grab a headlock? How do you run the ropes? How do you take a bump? How do you, how, 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 um, and that just becomes everything that you know is how, well, I know how to do that. Well, I know how, 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 how great, (laughs) you know, I can pretty much teach anybody how (laughs) with enough time. But when you start learning and understanding, being aware of why, that's where it starts to really separate you from everybody else. Because then you're wrestling with intent. For example, how many times will you see in a match someone will get thrown? They'll, first of all, we all do it. I don't really do it so much anymore because I'm hyper aware of it. But the, the handing your hand to somebody to shoot you off, to me, infuriates me, infuriates me, right? Because I know that we're taught at some point, like, well, make yourself an easy guy to work with. Like, that is a terrible misconception and shouldn't be taught, right? Where it's like, if you, you take a bump and you feed up to the ropes and they come in to shoot you off, just kind of do a little, like a little, like, um, with your hand, right? So they can just grab it and send you off. False. False. Don't don't teach that. Don't learn that. Right. Because I don't care if they're four years old or 80 years old. Somebody in that crowd is going to be like, huh, why is he helping them? Like, why is he, what? Are they working together? Huh? Huh? (laughs) And then the illusion's gone. Right. That's like the boom mic dipping into the screen, into the frame. When you're watching them, you're like, oh, what the fuck? What? It was close. Um, it's all good. I'm trying so hard. Uh, but, you know, so, yeah. God. Um, so for me, um, I, I want to see the wrestler go and grab their arm and throw them off. I don't care if it looks kind of jinky. I don't care if it looks whatever. I'll, I'll take it much more over. I'm going to, I'm going to slip you my hand here. All secretive. <laughs> no, you like, who can't see that? <laughs> um, you know, so even if it's just one kid, one person in the audience, why is he helping him? Uh, uh, um, the illusion's gone. So, but, But the point I was going to make was, okay, so you see that every match constantly. I'm a smooth worker, man. I'm easy to work with. No, you're an idiot. Um, Someone will get shot to the corner. Okay. Now, I call, put up an elbow, put up a boot, move, whatever it is that I call. I don't know what that is, but whatever I'm feeling at the moment. Uh, I send them off to the corner. And I call that. 
So I start charging in. Now I know what I called. I know they're going to move. I know they're going to put up a boot. I know they're going to put up an elbow, hopefully, right? 9.8 to 9, 10, whatever tenths of a time out of 10, you will see that this idiot now who just shot them off and secretly knows what's going to happen goes running in. Right? They just run in like this. And they put up a boot. They put up an elbow and they put, they move. It's, it's nonsense because to the audience, I shouldn't look like I know that I'm running in to take something or knowing that they're going to move. So I sent them to the turnbuckle. My intent as a visual fighter, wrestler, whatever, should be that I threw him to the turnbuckle. I'm going to run in there with a forearm or I'm going to run in there with a boot or something. I'm running in with something, right? I know they're going to put up an elbow. I know they're going to put up a boot or move. I know that. They don't need to know that. And so I always think like, what if that person didn't put up a boot or doesn't put up an elbow or doesn't move because they didn't hear it? Then you're just running in with like a running hump or something. Like you're just running <laughs> into like like a running hug is usually what it turns into, right? And so it's it's silly. Um, another spot that like oh, infuriates me so much, <laughs> and 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 it's 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 kind of more of like a lucha libre spot. And mind you, lucha libre is its own animal because it is very much a dance, and it's. It's the, it is what it is, but we've adopted this spot, um, that happens in all the time. And it's like the, the, you know, I kick out of something and the wrestler comes running at me and I'm on my knees and I just tap them on the back of the leg and they take a big bump and I cover them <laughs> and they kick out. And then I run at a person who's on their knees uh, with no intent. I just almost run like to the side. Like I'm not even running at them. I'm running kind of to the side so they can tap me on the leg. And then I fall. Horseshit. Like it's so stupid, right? Because again, this person watch these watch that spot. You know what spot I'm talking about, right? Yes, We've I all know. seen yes. it. <laughs> I've been so, taught it. <laughs> yeah, we all have. And we were and we were taught poorly, all of us, because <laughs> it's just like well, that's the way the spot goes. No, because realistically, it's like I kicked out, I'm starting to get up. They should have the intent that they are coming at me with a boot or to pick me up or something and then i should more so do like a leg sweep like yank their legs out with all my might and pull them off their feet and then cover you know it, it should really be grueling but instead it's like this little tippy tap crap on the back of the leg like who's that honestly gonna take off their feet nobody it's the stupidest spot in the world it's so dumb and yet people do it all the time and then they double nip up 
<laughs> fight forever, fight forever. Like, nah, shut the. Oh God, it makes me sick. All right, for, for the second part of my question, I'm glad that you ended on that note because um, because we're guilty of all of that, and partly because or mostly because we know that's what the crowd wants. So how do we do that? How do we balance that? Is that valid on the crowd's the end cr- or is that something we make them realize? Thinks, the crowd <laughs> thinks they want that. They don't know any better. They don't know any better. The reason they want that is because that's all they ever see. <laughs> that's all they ever see. So instead of working for a chant or working for a pop, ignore all that. Eliminate that entire process of working for a chant or working for a pop. It's idiotic. It's, it's, it's fool's gold. No, it's fool's gold. I'll put it that way. Um, work in the mindset of being real. Work for realism. And if they chant, great. And if they don't, so be it. But they will be paying attention. I'll tell you that. They will be paying attention. And it will stand out. Because you will be the one making it look believable when everyone else is doing this tap on the leg, back of the leg, uh, running. Uh, ta- uh, 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 let them have all that crap. Let all the other let the rest of the card do all that crap. <laughs> let the rest of the card. Shoot me off. Here's my hand. I'm so smooth. I'm so easy to work with. Um, (laughs) Let them do the running hug humps in the corner with no intent. Let them all do that. Let them work for pops. Let them work for their chance or fight forever and crap. Let them do that. You will automatically stand out because now you're working with intent. Just like Carlo was saying, you can tell who's been in a real fight and who hasn't. Professional wrestlers love, love, love to block punches with their face. It is the stupidest thing in the world, but there is like zero defense in professional wrestling. Have you ever noticed that? Yeah. Yep. Yes. Yep. Like zero defense. <laughs> we make, we you get made fun of if we try to play defense. Well, then whoever's making fun of you doesn't belong in the business because they don't get it. They don't get it. That, that's, that's a weak mentality in my mind because then it's like, oh, this person's playing defense. What do I do? Oh, I don't know. Like strategize, make it make sense, add psychology to what you're doing, right? Tell a story. Defense alone would tell a story. Right. So it's idiotic. You know, another example. I mean, I've got uh, I've got endless amounts of examples. Oh, we're learning here. We're learning so much. You lock up. Right. You lock up. Bam. Um, Jostle. They pull you into a headlock. First of all, headlocks where it's like lock up. Hey, hey, buddy. Hey, crap. That's crap. That's a crap headlock. A headlock. You lock up. One of you pulls that person in. Wham! I got the advantage. I got it on you first. I pull you pull them into a headlock. You don't buddy system doing that crap. It looks <laughs> stupid, but usually that's what happens because they're not. They don't care about the headlock. The headlock's just dressing to get into our cool spot. Yeah. <laughs> no, every single thing needs to be broken down with intent, right? So. You pull them into the headlock. Wham. 
wham, maybe they want to shoot you off. No, I'm not leaving yet. Bam, bam. Eventually, they give you a couple elbows. They send you off. 9.9% repeating out of 10. What is the person who is in the headlock? What do they do? They back up to the ropes. Okay, right. Well, you're, okay, well, I'm saying once they send you okay. off. Oh, once they send you off, you, you go I for the I was in trip, a headlock. I was in a headlock. Down. I was in a headlock. No, no, no. I was in a headlock. I send you off. Mm-hmm. You go and hit the ropes. You're mm-hmm. coming off the ropes. What is the person who was in the headlock? 9.9 out of 10. Usually, what do they do? They go for the drop down. Are they they take a tackle for no reason. Oh, yeah, they take a they tackle. They take a tackle. For no oh, reason. They walk right into it. And they're watching it the whole time. <laughs> okay. It, it, like, I don't know why that car ran over me. <laughs> I just walked right into the highway and I thought, you know, like, just you're an idiot. Like, were you not just in a headlock? Man. Oh, even if you just acknowledge the headlock for a second. Oh. They don't know. These people don't know that it didn't wrench your neck. I mean, if it looks like a crap headlock, there's that. Unfortunately, there's a lot of crap headlocks. <laughs> I can do destroyers. I can do poison ranas. I can do all this stuff. Yeah, show me a headlock. Headlock looks like shit. You're done. I'm done. I'm done. With, like, no. That's what happens in school, like in these trainings. You see these schools. They want to do all this stuff. They can't lock up for shit. They can't do a headlock for shit. So you make the headlock mean something, make every single thing mean something, right? But that's also on the responsibility of the person receiving it. Because if you're not selling it, well, then it obviously didn't hurt. It obviously didn't do anything. And so selling drives the story forward because without it, none of it matters. None of it matters. How many of y'all have had something you, where you did something um, and it would have been great. <laughs> the people loved it when it happened and it would have been great had the other person actually acknowledged it, but instead they jump right up and they start doing <laughs> this and this. And then like, whatever you did was completely forgotten about. It was erased like that. And they just, they threw it away. They just got thrown away. Right. So you never want to be that worker, but to be in a headlock, man, like that's like a, that's like a vice, like a bear trap on your head. Right. Wham, wham. Oh, oh, shit. Bam. Right. So just give it an acknowledgement, at least instead of just like, (laughs) Oh, I can't believe I got knocked down. Woohoo. Like, that, on that poll too, I think a lot of them, like uh, I've noticed when I've got students that come from other schools or whatever, um, uh, we were always taught there's a reason for everything. Like we got put, like Lance would put this, the hold on me for real and squeeze and show me this is why it hurts, right? And yes. you realize that like, for instance, like when I got put in the headlock, he showed me which way you put your hands and then the forearm drives into your cheekbone and it pushes yeah. your cheekbone up and then you lean on them. So you push their head up like a pest dispenser. So when I push the guy off, this thing is grinding on my face. So it hurts. If I'm, if I'm holding onto something and physics dictates that I'm pushing and I stop and they keep going, this thing's going to grind on my face. So that hurts. 
Or maybe I pushed him and I'm off balance because I took everything I had. So I'm on one foot. So that would make sense why I get knocked over. But there's there, no one really looks at the reason is why they're doing it. Same as like, um, Paul, I'm sure you see this one, where they back him up into the rope with the headlock and the guy gets the ropes and he lets go to hold the rope. I'm like, the guy just pulled his head out of the headlock. Like, what do you, he's no longer in a headlock. <laughs> Love like, that one. <laughs> there's all little things Love like that. It. And like, I learned a lot. Like when I had, um, when I would, I had a couple of tryouts and this is before the performance center and you, you do it before Raw and SmackDown and, and stuff like that. Regal broke down that to us and he said it and he says, you know, half these workers don't do this. And Regal, Regal explained every single spot. And I was like, I, you know, even things that I thought I knew, like with the drop down, I, I thought, you know, I, I thought I was ready. He was like, you know, why do we drop down? I was like, Oh, I know. And he was like to trip them. And he goes, how many people have tripped? And I'm like, yep, yeah, that's, <laughs> That's fair. And he goes, the only one that would ever look like they would try to trip them was Eddie because he'd slide into their legs. Yeah. True. He goes, but but if you look back at when the international was done, then it was done in England, it was two tackles. They tackle them, then they get up and tackle them again. So you're thinking logically, if I stand up for a third time, I'm taking a tackle. So I'll drop down and get out of the way like a dodge. So they're dodging. Yeah, get out of the way. And then you get mm-hmm. up to your feet and there's no point going back down, but there's not enough time to do anything else. So I'll jump up and that's the leapfrog. But yeah. even little spots like that, your face should show that. It's like, oh, shit. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you should be showing those sort of things. And I I learned that the hard way in front of everyone because I, I didn't know. But I had the balls of to put my hand up and say something. But, again, I think we go through the process of just going through the motions of what we think wrestling is. And we play wrestler. We play, this is how, oh, and uh, I, I've fallen on my back and gotten winded. And I don't go, I don't reach for my back. I'm like, oh, I can't breathe. <laughs> You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. When I'm in a wrist lock and my wrist hurts, why am I tapping my shoulder and doing what? I don't know what that is. Right? And it, it, reverber- it reverberates <laughs> a massage <laughs> down to your wrist. It's the vibrations. Yeah. 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 Uh, Paul, yeah, I want to go back to something that you said earlier. Sorry, sorry, uh, sorry Carlos. <laughs> you're good, you're good, you're good. All right. I want to go back to something you said earlier, Paul, about uh, the superhero mentality that some wrestlers want to have um, and, and these outsized characters that kind of take away from the realism. How were you able to reconcile that when you were working as the White Rabbit in Lucha Underground? Um, well, Lucha Underground was quite the exception because we created we created the atmosphere that this is an environment that has uh, super-powered women. This is an environment that has snake people. This is an environment that has zombies. This is an, So, like, that really allowed um, the, the, the environment for, for realism to be as expanded as it could possibly be, right? So uh, we killed people on that show you know (laughs) so like anything can happen anything right so um with the with the white rabbit stuff and the rabbit tribe that was the most fun i've ever had in wrestling because um we're now able to add uh kind of like an air of joy and and laughter to so much of this stuff that's so serious. Um, but then we would also understand that if we're just comedic, then it's going to be harder to take us seriously. So we have to do things at the same time. Um, usually 
as a three person trio with you know so we started doing like the triple punch um because we figured well like to get punched once sucks but to get punched three by three different people at the same time like and that's you know that's even worse like wham you know or whatever it might be so um so that was the benefit of being able to to use the three of us at the same time and we really wanted to make it look that way um but it was also kind of uh you know like i guess kind of joker-esque where it's like you know just because these people are laughing or having a good time or, or whatever um can kind of fool the the person that they're up against into not taking them as seriously uh and then you're able to really um catch them in a vulnerable state because they put their guard down by not taking you so seriously. So that was a lot of fun. I mean, that that was definitely the most fun I've had. And um, it's not, it's there, there's some, there's some rabbit tribe stuff uh, on the horizon. So <laughs> we, hey, you know, it, wow. it's not so the last. I, uh, yeah. We, we love Lucha Underground. So when you came in yeah. and you started doing the rabbit tribe stuff, Oh, we popped for that stuff a lot. <laughs> Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, is yeah, I loved it. I loved it. I mean, initially, uh, you know, they they presented me with this idea of being like the the guy to like lead this rabbit tribe, and I didn't. I was trying to wrap my head around it because I didn't. You know, I was like, well, we have like snakes and zombies, and uh, <laughs> yeah, like how much weed you have to smoke to just put it oh, together? <laughs> yeah, honestly. <laughs> Well, well, I just, you know, and I was, I was, I was training in Wing Chun at the time, Kung Fu. (laughs) Yeah. And so, um, so I was really serious about like my martial arts and I was really serious about, um, what I was doing. And so I was sitting here thinking of, you know, when they presented this rabbit trap idea, I was like thinking like serious, like, oh, this is like, should I make it like, like warriors or virtue or like you know bat you know battle beasts or something and like i was trying to think of like how do you make rabbits like badass you know and <laughs> cool and take them seriously um and so we actually had uh a dry run and it fell kind of flat because we were all dressed the same and um we apparently we looked like scuba divers <laughs> yeah, this is that bodysuit right yeah, 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 yeah. So we all had a similar bodysuit, same design, color, all that kind of stuff. And uh, Krista Joseph, a good friend of mine who was like the head writer at Lucha, because I became a part of the writing team as well. I was supposed to debut in season two, but I had hurt my knee in a match with Brian Cage. And so, and this was like on the independence. So I'd hurt my knee. And so I was not able to compete or work for season two but i was able to be in the back as a producer and that allowed me to really absorb and learn the atmosphere and and everybody's you know strengths and weaknesses and who who the characters were and all this kind of stuff and get my feet wet as a producer and as a and as like a as an agent whatever um so then I came out on season three and I was still a producer and an agent uh, and a part of the writing committee. So there's like, there was like four of us on this writing team. And so 
when he was, you know, he was like, oh, you, can, you know, it kind of looked, ah, wasn't really what we were thinking. We were thinking kind of like more like Alice in Wonder. And like the second he said Alice and, and he didn't even have to say Wonderland. I was just like, of course, of course. <laughs> how did how did I not see this? Right. Um, so that really defined what, what it was about. Um, and I, I downloaded like all these pictures of cod pieces and sent it to him. <laughs> I was like, it has to have this, you know, he's like, oh, that's, I love it. Yeah. Um, and it, it just, it, it just grew and grew. And then I really took a hold of that whole thing. And, um, you know, the guys that were in the group with me really embraced what they were doing too, because for Mala Suerte, it was very different than what he does in the independence, like very different. Um, he doesn't even work in a mask. Uh, and then for like Saltador, he also, he does work in a mask on the independence, but, um, he, he, he would have been more similar to what you saw as Saltador, what he does on the independence. So, um, and they're great friends of mine. These are guys that I've been friends with since like early 2000s. So, uh, there was already like a built-in chemistry there. So that really helped. But, um, but yeah, we just, we just, we weren't above looking like fools also because everything on the show was so serious that it was kind of like, if we can make something funny at the same time, then, then that's good because there isn't a lot of that on the show. Um, and, but, but pretty much I would say like 90 to 95% of what you saw uh, character wise was stuff that I came up with um, from like the carrot stuff to like holding uh, what's her name uh, hostage with a carrot to her neck. Like I was going to, you know, like as if it was a gun or something. And um, yeah, it was just, it was ridiculous. Right. But, but fortunately we were working in an, in an absurd environment universe whatever that allowed for stuff to be that ridiculous um so that was a lot of fun uh but going back real quick to what carla was saying about the drop down too i think it can be used obviously as a trip and as a means to get out of the way i have used it because i you know was gracious and fortunate enough to work alongside eddie and to work with him and along you know and work against him um and but to learn with him learn with him and and you know be backstage with him so much and so i'll do a drop down where i may not dive in at their feet like eddie did because to me it's kind of hard to to replicate that and <laughs> and i feel like if you're sliding in and actually clipping somebody's ankles right as they're coming off the rope um it's a little higher risk, obviously, but I will do like a drop down and knowing that they're going to step over me, um, I'll do a small push up, And so it, it causes them to trip. Um, right. So you can do a little, you know, like there was a guy named, um, Joey legend who, yeah. um, he he wrestled in ECW, I think, is or maybe when he was in WWF developmental, he was like just Joe. Um, 
And the first time I ever had a tryout for WWF um, was at a house show, funny enough. And that was set up, fortunately, by my trainer, one of my trainers, Dory Funk Jr. So, and, and it was a set of three house shows. It was a loop of Florida. And the, the house shows were set up for this other wrestler. It was like the camp, like prize pupil, um, this guy, Adam Windsor, who has since passed away, sadly say, so rest in peace. Um, but he was, a, you know, he was a friend of mine and we had teamed, but they had set up this house, these, these house show tryouts. And mind you, a tryout at a house show is almost unheard of. Like Carlo was saying, it's usually before um, a TV event, like a SmackDown or a Raw or something or a super show or whatever. Um, maybe not a super show because there's so much going on. But even then, you know, it happened before like a, te- a televised uh, taping of sorts. Um, but this was at a house show. But they set up these three house shows in different cities and they were all for Adam with a different person, a different standout from the camp each night. So I was fortunate enough to fall on the third night, the last night. And, you know, I was able to see kind of the mistakes that were being made um, the previous two nights. And so that really gave me the advantage uh, and I ended up being the standout of this whole project was was me. So that's really what put me on the radar in terms of um, working with, with WWF and getting put on their radar in terms of like knowing that I exist. Um, so uh, I'm not exactly sure where I was going with this. <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, if you do these things like we've talked about in terms of like wrestling with intent and, and you know, a believable story is going to take you much farther than a stunt show. It's, it's nothing against the athletics or the spectacle yeah. that today's wrestling offers because athletically, sure, it's probably greater than it's ever been. But why are there more injuries than there's ever been? And why are there, you know, and why, you know, say what you will, but the ratings aren't like record breaking by any means. You know, I think one of these programs struggles to even get a million viewers consistently. If, you know, more often than not, they're under a million. Um, Whereas I know that like when we were on TV, we were hitting like four and fives. Yeah consistently you know and that was to me considered kind of a down period uh for the company so you know injuries are higher than they've ever been and i think the stories are lesser to non-existent because to me it's 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 video game wrestling and it to me is just it's it's not interesting it's not interesting you know we're gonna stop right there and like john legend ask you to save room for more stories more insights and a little bit of manila-based kalokohan for part two of this interview with paul london and carlo cannon really excited for you to hear the story of how he literally scarred himself when he was here for the smackdown tour 
in November of 2006. Rowan also asks a very, very important question that's been bothering him for years and something that people still talk about to this day. And you're going to find all of that out on part two of this super, super sized episode of the Wrestling Wrestling Podcast. For now, we're going to close the books on this one. Huge thanks to our babyface producers over at Podcast Network Asia for all of the work that they do behind the scenes. And thank you very much to every patron, subscriber, listener, follower who does the good work of letting people know that the Wrestling Wrestling Podcast exists. On behalf of my co-hosts, Ro Moran, Chino Liao, Emil A.S.H., and Rowan A.S.H., my name is Stan C. saying thank you very much, stay safe, stay healthy, and don't be a dick. Wrestling Wrestling Podcast, out. Bye-bye. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia, the hosts of the program, or other programs of the network. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.